Welcome to your next podcast. You're joining the leadership department. Joining you here is our course director, which is me, Dan Connolly, and our deputy course director, Paul Jostineau. Hey, Paul. So far in the course, we've covered the idea of arriving at a final good. And we've also touched on the call to live an ethical life. With these ideas, propose strong suggestions regarding the purpose of leadership, including military leadership. And as we read for the day one seminar, not to ask this question, what is the purpose of leadership, is to commit oneself and one's followers to wandering on a journey without a clear destination. Well, we want to turn the conversation now to personality theory. You've done some reading on that. You've had some discussion on it. We want to extend some of those ideas, but we also want to do that by fitting this particular topic back into the course as a whole. Remember that uh, our knowledge of personality is important. It's also supposed to inform uh, what we're going to be studying uh, in the near future, which is the virtues, beginning with our lesson on wisdom and justice. So part of what's attractive about MBTI is revelation. You know, knowing something, a, a light bulb comes on when we talk about E versus I or something. Uh, so in the Socratic conception of wisdom, knowing that I do not know prepares the ground for real growth in knowledge, uh, or real growth in wisdom. Acknowledging our need for growth uh, helps us to know ourselves better. With MBTI, we've got a tool that can go a couple of directions, one that takes us down the Socratic road, one that makes us a foible to Socrates. If we use it to examine ourselves, provide categories for analysis uh, down the road, and correct some of our cognitive biases, all the better. But it can also, we can also treat MBTI as a kind of secret wisdom, something that we unlock, and it allows us to govern our lives and, and lead other people uh, in a almost like a cult-like sort of thing. Uh, so so we're, we're trying to walk between two roads uh, here. And so, so we want to expand the discussion from the panel a little bit today um, and from your seminar by bringing in uh, Bill DeMarco, fearless leader of the leadership department. Uh, now, Bill, uh, against your wishes, you weren't on the panel for the discussion about Myers-Briggs, uh, but you do a lot of teaching with it. Uh, we asked you to join us to try to expand some aspects of that discussion. Uh, in the panel, we talked about uh, the the ways the different types and pairings interact and talked about uh, flexing and growth. Uh, but I thought with you, we might talk a little bit more about uh, some of the negatives and stress. And just as a re reminder for all of you, you know, we've got a lot of different types that are here. I'll let you introduce yourself in a second, Bill. Uh, I'm an ENTP most of the time. You know, uh, uh, if I'm around other P's, I feel like a J. Uh, and I've, you know, as part of growth as a person, I've, I've learned to do a little bit of effing every now and then. Uh, so, so Bill, why don't you introduce yourself? So, yeah, I'm Bill DeMarco. Uh, I chair the leadership department. Um, and to introduce myself, I mean, I would just say I'm an ENTJ. And, and so we'll, we'll kind of throw that on the table. Um, uh, Dan, I don't know, what, what personality type are you? INFP. INFP. I hesitate that's a, to that's admit a shocker. It. So when, when <laughs> yes. Paul's saying that he feels like an F around some, I mean, a T, J. A J. J around some people. That might be because your P is so big. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. So uh, we were going to talk a little bit about kryptonite, right? Is that what we were going to yeah. Like, you yeah, know, what is, uh, what is kryptonite? And clearly kryptonite is a song by Three Doors Down uh, circa 2000. Um, 
kryptonite is also point. Yeah, <laughs> kryptonite also is you know in a cultural sense uh, it was a uh, Superman's weakness, right? You know, Superman who was mm-hmm. the person who had no weakness, kryptonite was his one weakness. Actually, little known fact introduced in Superman sixty one, uh, nineteen forty nine for the Superman. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, but what it really it talks about is this idea of an exploitable weakness, actually an extraordinarily exploitable weakness. I think in history, you know, uh, Paul, over to you on this idea of it's an Achilles heel, right? Yeah, yeah. That's really what we're getting at. So every personality type has kryptonite. It has an Achilles heel. And I think a key to leadership is understanding for your personality type, what is that weakness? Um, I think, you know, where do we see the weakness? Uh, usually uh, Myers and Briggs would say it's under stress and Myers and Briggs have two different levels of stress. There's initial stress and that's kind of the stuff we probably live in maybe at work if you get upset. Um, But then there's this idea of extreme stress, which is what uh, Myers and Briggs call in the grip. Can you give us an example or two of those? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all know what the best MBTI type is, right? My type. Exactly right. It's, I think it's mine. Yeah. Paul, it's whatever your type is, is the best type. And I, I, I mean, I applaud that. That's the way it should be. I hope everybody thinks that when you took the test that you looked at it and went, well, yeah, that's me. And who doesn't want to be me? But I think we get in this mode sometimes where we think that everybody is just a slightly flawed version of us and nothing could be further from the truth. So as an ENTJ, I think for a while I, I believe that and I, I'm, I'm sad to admit it. But I would wonder, why don't people act like I act? Well, because they don't want to. They're not wired that way. That's not what they do. So just, you know, it's easy to pick on our personality type. So what I'll do is just pick on the ENTJ because they're easy to pick on. I mean, so you think about what is an ENTJ? How do you know uh, you took the test? Um, however, to, sum- to summarize the ENTJ, they're the natural leaders. They enjoy the challenge of aligning people, systems, resources. The bigger the challenge, the more they thrive. They're kind of like the field marshals of the Myers-Briggs typology index. ENTJs love to win. Uh, to be at their best, they need to be fighting against something or someone. Justice and fairness are huge drivers, and they lead teams where you only get to eat what you kill. And here's where it kind of starts getting a little dark because ENTJs, it hurts me to say it, if my wife were here, she'd agree, we can be hard to love because our competitiveness uh, sometimes leads to an abrasive personality that makes them hard to love. They're constantly asking difficult questions to better understand their reality. And a lot of times a conversation with an ENTJ uh, can feel like an interrogation because we're just trying to find out the facts. That's what we want to know. But some people are like, whoa, Milo. So very encouraging. Yes, very encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys are all looking at me and laughing right now because you deal with this every day. Um, Loyalty. I don't know what you're talking about, Bill. (laughs) Loyalty is another key driver for ENTJs because it's like you're 100% for me or you're against me. I mean, these are some of the things that ENTJs do. Um, Now, when I talked about this idea of uh, stress and then being in the grip or extreme stress, as an ENTJ, what what normally happens to any uh, personality type is when you come under stress, you do more of what you do well. So in the case of an ENTJ, if we said that they're the field marshals, you'll start leading more, which what does that look like? Uh, It could look like micromanagement. It can look like command and control leaders. So as pressure increases on the ENTJ, they move beyond seeking others' opinions and counsel, and they become more and more demanding, and they become controlling of their environment. 
Uh, they, their need to win means that they drive themselves and others to the very limits of capacity and endurance. Uh, the most, uh, most people really don't have the capacity of the NTJ, and they fall by the wayside, which sometimes to an ENTJ could be a justifiable casualty in their battle for ultimate victory. Because people are originally Fair. drawn to their competency, their charisma, and then they start to feel their displeasure, and they start fearing letting them down. So to summarize that, you know, the first step for an ENTJ is we become micromanagers. The second, uh, and what's kind of funny is, uh, you know, the pairings of, of personality type matter here. And there's a deep study, and I'd encourage folks, if you're interested in this, you can go online and find the deeper study for your personality type or come by the leadership department. Uh, happy to give you my notes. Um, but I think a lot of us don't realize that when we come under extreme stress, when I first heard what ENTJs do, I thought I've never done that because what happens is I become an introverted feeler, which is the opposite of who I am. So if you think about extreme stress, our personalities almost flip. So you become the opposite. So my wife, I mean, she is an introverted feeler. She does it very well. I am not. I'm an extroverted thinker. So I become my opposite. What does that look like? Well, extreme stress triggered by failure, um, usually of a vision or physical burnout, ENTJs start to withdraw into their external world of leadership, and then they internalize their emotions and they start thinking things like, am I really just a task-focused monster? Does anybody really care about me? Does anybody like me? Do I have any real friends outside of my task-focused world? And they experience guilt and regret for having placed tasks before relationships, and then they start to wonder, is there any way back? So what does that look like? Quick example, I don't even remember the conversation, but I just had finished this MBTI level one, level two training. And when I read this, I thought I have never done that in my whole life. And my wife was upstairs, I remember. I was downstairs, don't remember the argument, but whatever she did, it triggered me right into that you know, extreme stress. And I thought, nobody understands me, nobody gets me, she doesn't know what it's like to be me. I'm gonna go in the kitchen and I'm gonna cook, because I love cooking. But I was in there chopping carrots, thinking all of these thoughts. And I went, wow. What's striking about that, Bill, is that you're describing a kind of isolation that you can put yourself into, mm -hmm. but you're not really aware of it. So you're not, you're not tabulating that fact as it happens. And so your judgments and decisions are going to be affected by that movement, but it comes from within you. So it becomes very hard to counter, I would think. Yes. And that's one of the gifts, I think, of studying MBTI, right? That's what we're hoping to get from the students, anybody listening, is as you study these things, you'll start to see the triggers. So an example would be, I know it might be shocking to the two of you, uh, but when I feel the stress coming on, I mean, just think of an example we had uh, just the other day talking about books in the department, where I'm wondering, why can't we get a date? It's not anybody's fault, but I start getting stressed, and I go into the command and control mode of saying, I need a date for the books, because that's the stress coming on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll go into yeah. the... C2 world of saying, I need to command and control this. Right. <clears throat> well, so in the uh, extreme stress version, I, you know, because we're both ETs, I'm familiar with the IF in that it looks something like the Hindenburg. Uh, <laughs> Good example. But, I, but what about you, Dan? You know, so have, have you become ET in a moment? You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I can't think of any better example than my uh, home life uh, being surrounded by uh, children that provide all sorts of interesting opportunities for stress. An introvert sanctum, and, to be and, sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and so constantly the, uh, the ops tempo of the household will sort of send me into an ET frenzy um, as a direct 
sort of survival mechanism. And then I realize it's happening, but it almost seems impossible in the moment to, to pull back out of that. Well, so let's, let's turn a little bit towards application. Uh, there are a couple of different directions we could go. When we think about f- failures or struggles in leadership, how does thinking about kryptonite maybe help inform thinking about failure and struggle? You know, when we come into a time of crisis and we don't do it well. Yeah, I think the key is knowing that the triggers, knowing the signals. And, and honestly, this is, I won't say it's, it's like you said, it's not a cult. It's not like we're looking at this thing. This is the answer to everything because, you know, we can do all of these. I mean, those four dichotomies, we can do both. We can flex, as we talked about on the panel. We can do these things. So the idea would be this is almost like a roadmap for us to be aware. If you think about it, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time flying airplanes. It's your master caution panel. So when you start feeling these things coming on, so the stress, as I start seeing myself micromanage, I start realizing, why am I stressed? I start asking myself, what can I do to relieve the stress? A lot of times for me, it's just taking things off my plate. And it might be walking next door, maybe to the deputy and asking Brandy, hey, can you take this for me? The problem is normally Brandy's plate is like super full too, so it might be walking further down the hall. But it's trying to find these ways of, you know, how do I get things off my plate so I can focus more, so I can, because the NT piece, this is the future, the visionary, that's where I love to be. I don't like to be in the tactical, but as you know, we find ourselves there all the time. And that can lead to the stress, which then leads to this, you know, command and control. So I find if delegation for me as an ENTJ, is part of the key to reducing the stress. How do we how do we use this sort of knowledge to help us not just understanding ourselves but understanding the other people we're working with? And it's funny because some, I've had people ask sometimes like, "Well, how do you how do you type people? How do you know?" And there's no there's no way to know. You just you talk to people and you start watching their behavior. So the I and the E, you might see somebody at a staff meeting, let's say, that tends to be quiet. Maybe we think, "Well, they're not listening." No, they're listening. They're probably taking all kinds of notes or mentally they're running through things in their mind. But as leaders, if we don't stop and ask them, what do you think? We're never going to know. And for an ENTJ, um, for a lot of E's, that's hard to do. We move really fast. Um, I had a guy uh, over when I was in Mildenhall that, uh, brilliant, couldn't think of anybody smarter in the room. And I had a leadership coach ask me, how often do you ask Joe, what's he thinking? And I said, never. And he goes, then you'll never know. So I actually wrote on the bottom of my notes for the staff meeting with a little box next to it, what do you think, Joe, just so I could ask him and get his thoughts. Hmm. So we've heard some ideas about some useful extensions of personality theory, both I think in self-management and also, uh, you know, keep, keep to, we'll keep pushing the envelope on how we can deal better with others in the, uh, in the work environment. I think it's important at this point to uh, tie the discussion back to the purpose of military leadership, uh, where we began the, the course as a whole. Uh, above all, our earlier lesson material on purpose indicated that the idea of the military profession itself is rooted in obligation, really obligations from relationships. It doesn't exist in this sense in its own right without a mandate to exist that comes from somewhere outside itself, really a non-military source. So with that context in mind, um, Bill, let me throw this over to you again. Uh, what does the, uh, the earlier content of our course kind of point the way uh, about the responsible use of personality theory as you see it? Well, I tell you, you know, Dan, I, I look at this idea of, of personality. To me, um, it's all about diversity. I mean, and I would say cognitive diversity. 
So the best problem solvers don't, they're not one person. It's a team of problem solvers because we're all looking at this problem differently. I mean, Harvard has a bit when they talk about meta leadership, they call it the cone in the cube. Because depending on, you know, in that cube, which window you're looking at the cone, it might look like a triangle, it might look like a circle. But the different personality types are going to see it differently. And then when we have trust among the personality types that we can have these conversations, like I said, the fact if you have an eye on your team who's quiet, doesn't mean he or she's not listening. It means you need to ask them, what do you think? When you start to bring the best out from all these personality types and understand the kryptonite, I think that cognitive diversity is the key to any healthy, well, military organization, but any healthy organization. Yeah, I, I like that uh, reference uh, to the idea of, uh, of diversity here because there's a, there's a tendency or an inclination to typecast. Uh, and maybe uh, really when you look around you, um, because as you mentioned earlier, it's so commonplace to think of the world in the terms of your type. You're going to impose that on everybody else, but think that you're not. So there's some self-deception here that I think we need to be conscious of. Um, let me next move, and, and uh, Bill or Paul, this is for you. Um, I want to introduce the idea of, of restraint here in the use of personality theory. So we'll start with this question and say, well, how should a leader not use a personality um, concept or a tool like MBTI? What, what are its limitations? Yeah, I would be hesitant to say that, you know, if you were looking, let's say as a commander, you're looking to fill positions in your squadron and some for some reason in your mind, you think that your DO should be an ISFP. Hmm. Uh, you know, and so all of a sudden you're going to go out and start giving everybody a personality type, you know, a test because you're looking for that ISFP. I mean, I'd tell you that's nuts. You got to hire for talent. You know what I mean? And now I tell you, as a commander, to me, I've been very, very fortunate uh, as a squadron commander, as a group commander, as, uh, boy, I, I just go on a list. I mean, uh, as a commandant, as all these things, I was always fortunate to have my opposite as a deputy. And that opposite creates conflict. It creates tension. But in the end, it's much healthier because I'll go back to the cognitive diversity. It's a uh, question of being able to work collaboratively rather than oppositionally. Yes, but I didn't hire them because of their personality type. I hired them, you know, in the case of the DO in a squadron, let's say I inherited a DO, but then I was able to hire two other DOs. I hired them because they were the best officer for that position. It just happens I got to know them that I started noticing the differences between how I process and how they process, and we took that to make it a strength, not a weakness. And I think in the same way, taking somebody's you know, taking an introvert and saying, well, I'm not going to give you any sort of public or leading role because you're an introvert. Introverts are often very well prepared and do excellent public yes. roles. Uh, and so if we make assumptions about people based on a type or something, that, that can lead us down a negative road. But being able to think in terms of extroversion, uh, in terms of how you process information, in terms of sensing or intuiting uh, how you make judgments and decisions, uh, you know, the ways we process the world. These are helpful categories for us to be aware of both about ourselves and about the people around us. Uh, and we'll do the same thing as we move into the next phase of the course. We're looking at historical figures in a number of different cases to think about these virtues. We're not so much interested in, you know, was George Washington uh, an ENTJ, Uh or something else, you know, we don't care. Uh, but what we do want to think about is, you know, how he used 
decision-making processes and, and how he processed his information and how he interacted with the people around him. Uh, because leaders have been needing to be aware of the people they're leading for all time. Uh, and MBTI is a pretty helpful way for us to go about doing that as far as knowing ourselves and knowing the people around us. Yeah, there's, there's two other uh, concepts that we're going to deal with soon that I think have a strong connection to, to what you just said and, and, Bill, what you've been sharing with us. So one is wisdom, uh, which in shorthand can be looked at as knowing and choosing the good. And so when we introduce the idea of how not to use a tool that's before us, uh, then the, uh, the use of wisdom and how we apply the tool really makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I noted a, um, a real tone of hope, uh, Bill, in your uh, mention about not typecasting who you want, let's say, to be that perfect deputy. Uh, because really, your response to that effectively, I think, teaches me that um, there's hope, uh, that really you can work with any type, um, but knowledge of the type informs how you effectively lead that person. Uh, an, an avenue that that suggested to me was, for example, in how we shape the extent and the contours of the burdens that we place on those we lead. You know, what does that look like and how does their type maybe suggest to us how we would organize their workload? Uh, and I think it would uh, help shape our expectations to be a little more reasonable, too. You know, Dan, I think that's true. I think one thing I'd, I, would, I would just offer also is that the only person we can really truly know and sometimes we can't is ourselves. Yeah. So I would say as a leader, the first thing to do is, and we talk about it in the course, right? The idea of know yourself mm -hmm. to lead yourself, mm -hmm. then lead yourself to lead your team. So I think that's kind of the way I've looked at MBTI. And when we talk about kryptonite, we talk about all these things. I would offer for every one of these personality types and these, these kryptonite type things, we have to look at what does growth look like for us? Yeah. Not what does growth look like for that person that's different than you. You know, you have to focus on yourself. What does growth look like for me, you know, as an ENTJ? I mean, one of the big things I need to do is develop relationships with people that I'm not their leader. You know, it, it, things like that. I mean, it sounds <laughs> crazy, but that, that's, that's a different thing for an ENTJ. Learning, I don't know, how to be present with people without an agenda or a need to recruit people to my cause and my vision. Um, maybe developing empathy and compassion uh, for those less fortunate, serving people that can never repay me. I mean, these are things as an ENTJ that I have to stop and think and realize. Um, when I meet somebody, sometimes I'm like, oh, she knows this really well. That could help the department stop. It's nice. not about that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So right. I would just, to your point, Dan, I just think a lot of this comes down to who we are as leaders, working on ourselves all the time to make ourselves better, and then looking outside of ourselves. Nice. A second virtue that to me was quite relevant to the conversation we've been having is that of temperance or self-restraint. Uh, I think in particular, the temptation when you hand somebody knowledge, you mentioned the notion of secret wisdom, Paul, remember earlier. And if we get a little too enamored of that, the temptation might be just to apply it kind of without a check, of, check and balance. And temperance really, as we'll see later in the course, provides the opportunity for a strong check and balance so that we don't see personality theory as a means of control, but a means of gaining knowledge and knowledge to be put to good uses. And so um, in emphasizing that, um, let's uh, start to make some wrap-up comments. Well, you know, that, that discussion of temperance is, is pretty relevant when we think about kryptonite. Knowing your weaknesses, what causes stress and how you react to stress, is one of the ways you help 
prepare yourself for navigating uncertainty and change and mm. complexity and challenge. Uh, and so if you understand those sort of things, then you can help prepare yourself for it uh, and grow in ways that help you navigate those stresses in a more successful fashion. And so we think of that as a, as a type of, of prudence, um, the, the practice or practical wisdom. And so that sort of self-knowledge can help us not to master the world, but to be able to navigate it more successfully. That's an excellent point. You know, the thing that occurred to me in your, in your last words here uh, has to do with, let's call it the chain effect of stress. You know, once we, we the physiological symptoms start to uh, take hold of us and we're in that moment of stress, even extreme stress, uh, back to your points, Bill, uh, I think what can happen is we, we've, we start to lose our ability to have means of interrupting that chain of effects from stress. So that's where I think, Paul, your comments about how the virtues might enhance our ability to use uh, a tool like personality are so valuable. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as we close, MBTI is not a one-day topic. It's not an end to itself. It's something that we can use throughout the course. We can think about these these strengths. Um, depending on your level of comfort or, or skepticism about MBTI, you may choose to think about you know types. Uh, you may choose rather rather to think about some of these traits that are involved about uh, about judgment, uh, about processing information, uh, about interacting with other people. Uh, and use that as a as a way to think about and know yourself better. Uh, and so thinking about those proclivities um, or processes can can be helpful for us. Yeah, Paul, excellent points as we close. Uh, it seems to me then the question isn't about finding levers of manipulation, but really a means of self-understanding. Uh, you're going to see your own limitations and strengths a little more clearly and then apply that to a richer understanding of others. So that in the end, personality theory, including techniques such as MBTI, um, because it's morally neutral and then potentially hazardous because of that, uh, we really need to tie such tools to proper ends. Uh, Bill, I want to thank you so much for joining us as our guest. Um, and thanks uh, for joining us, comrades. Uh, that's, uh, that's it for today. You've heard it. 